Hello, you've reached another episode of the Cowboy Jeff and Andy podcast. Today, I interview Ron Saul, longtime engineer for the Ernie Ball Company. So it will be a great show. Stay tuned. I am here with Ron Saul. Good afternoon, Ron. Good afternoon. I am here on location in San Luis Obispo at Capitolio Way, and this looks like Dr. Frankenstein's workshop, only <laughs> if he worked on ukuleles. That's Frankenstein. <laughs> Frankenstein. <laughs> now, uh, you are a guitar maker and... Uh, I think work on all aspects of, of instruments and electronics. Um, and I know you made ukuleles for a long time. I did, yeah, for about uh, seven years I've made ukes. And uh, what are you working on right now? I'm working, I'm, I'm building snare drums and uh, I'm building snare, uh, just parts of snare drums, hoops and things like that. And I, I uh, the reason I'm doing that, I. I was a bass player for 50 years, uh, playing upright bass and electric bass. And I had a herniated disc in my neck, two herniated discs, and had to have surgery on them uh, to replace the disc and fuse it. And I can't feel anything in my uh, the fingers of my left hand. So I can't play my bass anymore. But I can hold the sticks. So. Well, that yeah, that's... Yeah, I've I've played the drums before. It's I just love the drums. Uh, I do too. It, it must have been hard. Uh, well, it must have been hard to give up the bass. It was, yeah. It I think in bass. Oh yeah. I do. Um, and I I was a banjo player forever, and uh, played guitar, but uh, uh, the drums are really something. They're they're the hardest instrument I've ever tried to play, um, mainly because of the coordination and. Uh, the way your mind has to work. So I wanted to focus on a little bit on, on Ernie Ball. Yeah. And uh, when did you join the company? I joined uh, Ernie Ball in 1975. And uh, maybe we could give a little bit of, um, of history on Ernie Ball. Uh, his grandfather uh, was in the music industry and he wrote When Irish Eyes Are Smiling. Yeah, and, and Mother McCree and a bunch of those uh, Irish tunes. He was Irish. And um, uh, he's, in fact, I've got some old sheet music uh, that Ernie gave me uh, that his grandfather wrote. And then he started on the steel guitar and, and then uh, was playing around professionally in the L.A. area. Yeah, he played uh, all over. Uh, I have a photo of him. Uh, he's playing in... Tommy Duncan's band. Uh, Tommy Duncan was uh, Bob Will's main singer for years and oh, years, wow. and then split off for, with his own band. And he uh, he hired Ernie. Ernie was 16 when he started playing pedal steel with Tommy Duncan. And Ernie was uh, he's he was a great guitar player, uh, uh, rhythm guitar player mostly. And but his pedal steel style is really nice and clean and and strong. And uh, uh, Ernie was, I, I consider him one of my best friends. He wow. was just a wonderful guy. 
And he was interested in music education early on and took on students. He had two music stores in Southern California. And the first one, and the and he started the first guitar store, electric guitar store in 1958. Yeah. And that was in Tarzana? Uh, yeah, Tarzana. And then he, moved, he opened another one in Santa Monica. So he had two at the same time. And they had, it was when the... the uh, the the big guitar thing started, and they had huge classes, uh, group classes and individual classes. And he, uh, his main business there was um, uh, students. And he came to some realization, and in in reading about his story, uh, music was transitioning to rock and roll, and he found a niche. Um, in custom guitar strings. Can you talk about that story? Well, Ernie, it actually started with his pedal steel playing. Um, it's, it's, uh, you don't just go down to the music store and buy a set of pedal steel strings. Um, everybody tunes their instruments different. They tune their steps and their pedals all different. Uh, so you have to mix string gauges on the instrument. And you can't, you just, in those days, it was almost impossible to buy single strings, just one string. Huh. You had to buy a set of strings and then sort them out. Yes. But um, he, the, the rock and roll thing started, and um, uh, people would come in, and they would be asking, can I have a lighter gauge string? Can I have a lighter uh, E string than this? And he just he says, well, here's Labella's. This is what you've got. But uh, he decided pretty early on that he was going to um, put together his own string sets and he was going to sell individual strings. And I have a box here right behind me, um, the, this little wooden box that he, uh, he, would, he kept on the counter at the music store and there would be single strings in there that people could pick out. Um, and then he, he, he uh, said, wow, you know, here's a, I, I see a trend here. So he put together a gauge of strings, a, a set of strings that we call slinkies now. And it was, I think it was the G string that was wound and it just didn't bend enough for the, it didn't for the rock bend and roll players. And, and, it, and the, uh, the, the, the high E string was not light enough either. Yes. And that's what it was all about is the bending of the strings and, and uh, a certain tone. Um, that you get with lighter strings. And, and then he had, uh, it, that just kept going and going and growing. Um, and he <clears throat> started uh, selling a lot of them uh, to other music stores. And uh, he, uh, his family would be at home packaging strings. He would buy uh, bulk strings from uh, different manufacturers and coil them and put them in his own envelopes and put together these slinky sets. But um, he uh, he moved to San, uh, from Santa Monica to uh, Newport Newport Beach and Costa Mesa uh -huh. and uh, got himself a warehouse there and, and uh, uh, a stream of ladies would come in every morning and pick up bulk strings and boxes of envelopes and take them home and uh, they were piece rate workers coiling and packaging 
Ernie Ball strings. They would do it at home. They, they were getting paid by piece rate. And um, that was pretty successful, except Ernie didn't make strings. He bought them from several vendors. And um, that, that was very successful. Now, how did you come to join the company and, and what was your job? Well, I was going to, I was going to college and uh, living in Orange, California, and met this guy through a friend of a friend who worked at Ernie Ball. His name is Dan Norton. And Dan Norton, uh, for years and years, was the rock of Ernie Ball. He was, uh, he, he, was he was the guy that Ernie went to when he needed something. Uh, Dan was a, uh, quite, a, quite an innovator. So Dan Norton was a guitar builder, uh, kind of an amateur guitar builder. He, he went to school in Chico, Chico State, and uh, ran into this guy who, uh, his name is Art Overholzer. He builds guitars. An old guy, uh, cabinet maker, who built guitars on his kitchen table. And Dan built a few guitars with him and then went to work for Ernie Ball. Uh, it's, it's kind of an engineer and supervisor for Ernie. And uh, I met Dan through a friend of a friend, and I was building a, um, a mandolin at the time. Hmm. Um, and uh, it's a, a carved-top carved mandolin. Um, and uh, this mutual friend said, hey, you, gotta, you guys got to get together. And so uh, Dan came over one night and looked at my mandolin and... and uh, guitar that I had started and say hey you want a job we're looking for somebody to reopen the Earthwood guitar factory which was in Costa Mesa so Ernie Ball was famous for the first acoustic bass guitar that was the Earthwood in 1972 so they were bringing it back at that time yeah it wasn't it wasn't the first but it was the first successful one the first one that really sounded good Uh and uh, uh, Ernie and in 73 or 74 walked into the earthwood shop and he was not happy with the workmanship uh, and a lot of other things he was getting these instruments he was making guitars acoustic guitars and acoustic basses and he was getting them back with braces falling off inside and uh, uh, he was not happy and he couldn't couldn't seem to communicate with the guys who were running the shop, so he closed it down. And uh, then they hired me, and Ernie wanted to start the thing again, so my job was to go in and crank the, the factory up. And I walked in, and there were there were there were lunches in the refrigerator. There were uh, guitar faces on the gluing jigs with. Uh, that they had just glued braces on. And there was still lacquer in the spray pots and all this stuff. And <laughs> it was it was like he, he just walked in and said, okay, everybody go home. You're all fired. Oh, my gosh. And so that it closed down. And, and so I started it again. And we redesigned the Earthwood base, which is the only thing that Ernie wanted to build. He didn't want to build the guitars. He just wanted to build the bases. 
and they were uh, wonderful bases. They were uh, eight inches deep and six inches deep, and the uh, the eight inch bases sounded great, but they were too hard to play. So we redesigned and we redesigned the the bracing and the necks a little bit and and started production. And then you, uh, the company moved, so you moved with the company in the 80s. Yeah, uh, 1979. 79? Yeah, we, we moved from uh, from Costa Mesa. First thing we did, we moved the guitar shop to um, San Luis Obispo over on Tank Farm Road. We leased a, a row of uh, eight uh, units, 225 Tank Farm Road. How do I remember that? <laughs> But we, we leased these and started building guitars again. Um, and it was a, boy, it was a, a lot of work getting set up and getting things run right. At the, at the same time, uh, the guitar string business was growing and growing. And eventually they moved from Newport Beach up to San Luis Obispo, nine, about 1982, he he got the whole business up, up here. Did he just like this area? Was he that, did. Yeah, and he was a surfer and. Uh... Yeah, originally we were going to move to uh, Paso Robles, and he had property back in uh, uh, kind of a remote area uh, east of of uh, Paso Robles, and uh, he. He said, we're moving to Paso Robles. Well, I said, okay, I'm ready. And uh, we moved to San Luis Obispo because Ernie said, hey, you know, Paso Robles is too far away from the beach. He was a surfer. He, and he says, it's uh, too hot. And he says, if we move to San Luis Obispo, we've got a great employee pool in all of these uh, Cal Poly students part-time workers so you know of course I said okay and uh, so we moved we moved to San Luis and I I bought a little house on North Broad Street and and uh, Dan moved up here and how many employees moved up here or how big was it at that time well I, I think when when we moved up here we were, we probably had four employees that moved uh -huh. um, but we, uh, we we started hiring people to wind strings again to to coil strings and what does that involve no you've got an envelope and a little holder and you take a, a a raw string out of a bag and that has the ball on it it's a it's a string but it's straight they come in in long plastic bags and you coil it six times and you flip one end in twice and one end and the ball end in the, once and you stick it in the envelope close the envelope and it goes in the box so you didn't you made the strings or no you bought, we didn't you bought the bulk strings we bought bulk strings yeah wow and i and there was uh you had talked about one time how much the packaging and how much that cost to manufacture do you remember how much that well ran? it was yeah ernie he he wanted me to 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 do a real time study on and just we we had everything in included in this. Um, uh, of course, 
the power and all the employees' salaries and the guy who resurfaced the parking lot and everything. It took me a year to to really come up with a price on this. And different strings um, take more labor, but uh, this is just packaging, you know, just the packaging of the strings. And then the, the cost of the bulk strings. And yeah, it was cheap. I'm not gonna say how much, but it was really shockingly cheap. So it was a good business. It was a good business, yeah. Yeah, I, I was just looking online and I said, I saw that people are going to remember rock and roll history. They're going to remember Les Paul, the Telecaster, the Stratocaster, and the Slinky. Yep. That's quite an achievement. Yeah. And, and eventually, Ernie Ball uh, ended up in Europe and Asia, uh, 5,500 stores in 70 countries. So yeah. that was just an amazing growth. Yeah, and, and the, the, the growth... Uh, could be attributed to his son Sterling. Yeah, he traveled around a lot and did marketing. Well, he was just he was really good at it, and you know they would meet at the Nam show every year, uh-huh. and you'd meet you. That's one of the reasons you go to Nam, um, is just to meet and uh, make contact and sell strings. And Sterling was really good at it. He was really good at it, and he really wanted to pump the business up. And Ernie didn't. He wanted to stay kind of small and and make things easy. But uh, uh, Sterling, he's and Sterling was a, an excellent bass player. So he was he was really on top of the bass thing too. And then they bought uh, the Music Man Company. Right. And when was that? Uh, that was in the uh, in the eighties. In the mid eighties. Yes. So that really were those guitars made here. Yes. Those seem they're to be still very... made here. Oh, they're still made here. Yep. In o- this area. Over on uh, Suburban Road. Yeah. Those bases are really. I've heard a lot of musicians talk about those bases. They're really good. They're beloved. Yep. Really good. They've got the right sound and they play beautifully and they. They're just amazing instruments. So is that really mainly what you did for the company? <clears throat> is I know, uh, were you primarily working on the Earthwood bass? Well, uh, at first I was. Then I, I uh, we we were making uh, pedal steel guitars when I first came to the company in Newport, and uh, uh, we had a shop, and these pedal steels were the best. Ernie wanted the best pedal steel. Uh-huh. They were beautifully made and they, they worked great. They're too expensive. So uh, we closed that shop when we moved up to San Luis Obispo. And uh, we, we still needed a machine shop. I was uh, designing and building tooling for, for the guitar uh, production. And then... Um, I bought a uh, pedal steel from Ernie, one of his old Bixby pedal steels. And uh, just, I was a, a banjo player back in those days and a bass player. But I wanted to learn pedal steel because it's a great sound. And uh, I, I got it and started working on it. 
working on playing it and uh, I needed a volume pedal and I didn't want to spend the $80 for a Goodrich pedal just didn't have it so I went into our machine shop and I made um, a volume pedal and showed it to Ernie and Ernie goes we're going to make those so <laughs> I have the the original one here this is the first one It's a solid, really a solid pedal. I made it out of aluminum extrusions. and um, Yes, they, they don't make them of this quality these days. They do. Much. They do? They do. The, Is Ernie uh, Ball making this now? Yes. Wow. Um, hundreds of thousands. Hundreds of thousands of they're volume pedals. They're sold all over the place. And there are, there's a wah pedal and the volume pedal. And then, uh, and they, they've redesigned it several times uh, since I left. Uh, and uh, it's a very successful volume pedal. In fact, I uh, went to see Mark Knopfler in Santa Barbara a few years ago and I'm always looking on the stage, always looking for my volume pedal. <laughs> and he had two of them. Oh. <laughs> so, but yeah, I'm always looking for that stuff. Have you, have you worked with other, I know you, don't you make banjos? You were working with I, Bella Fleck and. Yeah, I make, uh, I made uh, banjos myself uh -huh. here in this shop. I, that's, uh -huh. I moved, I uh, uh, left Ernie Ball in 98 and, and moved into this shop to do that. And uh, uh, I worked with uh, Tony Furtado and, and Tony Trishka and uh, actually had Bela Fleck come into the shop a couple of times. Oh, uh-huh. He's an amazing player. Yes. Uh, and a really great person. He's just just a good guy. Um, but uh, I something happened. I, I was in a band called the Howley Playboys. Uh, we played Hawaiian cowboy Viper Blues. That was Viper it. Blues. Viper. Okay. And it was it was a Poisonous. mix. It was a, it was a mix of all kinds of stuff, but it was it was really fun. And I w I played bass in that band, and we played all over the place here on the Central Coast for oh five years, I think. And Jerry Pyle, our ukulele player, wanted me to build him a uke. So I thought, you know, that would be fun. So I built one, then I built another one, and I, I got into production building ukes. And I, I built those things for about 10 years. And you said, I saw on YouTube, that you had a machine that would strum the uke a million times. Yep. <laughs> you were born with the engineering gene. I was not. I, I'm a graduated engineer. Oh, you are? Yeah. Where did you go to school? I went to, well, I went to... Cal State Fullerton uh, initially and got my degree in communications, radio, TV, broadcasting, and uh, immediately went to work for uh, CBS News in Hollywood. And I worked there for two years, and it, it was a horrible place with horrible people. I, I just, uh, oh, 
modern journalist. <laughs> it's just, it's not any easier now. Nope. Oh, no. And so while I was there, I, I was, I was go down the street to uh, USC and I thought, you know, I like to make stuff. So yeah. I, I uh, got a degree in mechanical engineering and, uh, that's just before I started working at Ernie Ball. And I like to make stuff. What are you working on now? You always have a lot of projects in the hopper. I'm working on, um, let's see, I'm working on, right now, today, I was work, uh, building some drumsticks. I wanted to see if I could make something a little different. And carbon graphite tubes and Delrin pieces. But I'm, I also build uh, snare drums, and I've got standing orders for my snare drums right now. They're real different. They're made of solid wood, and uh, uh, I, I love the sound. And we've got several of them here in our community. Wow. So you, you talked about your friendship with Ernie Ball. What, what, kind of per, what, what was he like? He was, he was, he was like the perfect dad. Uh -huh. you know, he was just a, he was so generous and, and he, he cared about people and just a, a wonderful guy. I, I liked him a lot. And he, uh, I uh, was having some eye problems and I, uh, I, was, I was missing little pieces of my vision and I went to couple of ophthalmologists and finally got one that cared about diagnosing and got a an MRI and here's this big pituitary tumor at the base of my brain huge about the size of a, a softball and it was pushing on my uh, optic nerve and it's the reason I was losing these little pieces of vision so I we said okay uh, my ophthalmologist says, you, you got to get this taken care of. So I went to several uh, neurosurgeons and um, three said, well, I just, uh, I don't want to do this. It's too big, too big a uh, project. And I just, I, it, it really got me down when nobody wanted to help me. But um, Ernie and my friend Dan they said, "Okay. Give, give us all the info. We're gonna, we're gonna figure this out." So Ernie spent a little over, probably ten days, on the computer and on the phone, trying to find the best neurosurgeon to take care of this. And he did. He and Dan uh, found this uh, surgeon at UCLA, Keith Black. Uh, who's at the time was at 34 years old and uh, coming up fast. And they got me an appointment, said, okay, here's your, here's your surgeon, go down and visit. And at the, the whole time, Ernie was taking care of everything. He was, and uh, he, those guys pulled it off. I got my, I got in to see him and he, took this thing out um, I still have the scar see the scar up here mm -hmm. 
<laughs> but it's a it's I was only supposed to live two years after that, and I don't know why, but that's what they said. But here it is. Uh, that was 1992. So I, I fooled him. But uh, wow, Ernie just he if it hadn't been for him and my friend Dan, I, I who knows. I wouldn't be here. Well, I think that's a that's a good story to go out on, and and I want to thank you so much for your time, Ron. And I did want to go out on the Patuba. Can you talk about the Patuba, please? <laughs> you were an the, entrepreneur. The Patuba. Oh boy. Well, it's a uh, it's a wind instrument. You might say, um, and I. When I was playing in the Howley Playboys, I, my wife's birthday was coming up, and I didn't know what to get her. So I thought, you know, I remember playing my my armpit with a drinking straw when I was 14. And I, so I made a plastic tube with a little mouthpiece on it and uh, gave it to her. And I thought, you know, I could, I could probably make these and do something with them. They're, they're a unique sound. In fact, I think I have one here. I can buy one. I want to buy one. I could just, I'll do a demonstration. Okay. Yeah. Well, I should too because. Okay, uh, why don't you, okay, cool. I'll buy that one and you can. First of all, you don't know what you're doing. I don't know what I'm doing. That's right. <laughs> and it, it could be dangerous. Okay, there could be. Uh, In fact, the, uh, the Ukulele Orchestra of Great Britain is an incredible band came to, to the pack they played at the pack and and uh, uh, they they my friend David Beals worked at the pack and he says you got to go to Ron's shop he makes ukuleles so the whole ukulele orchestra of Great Britain there I think there's nine people in it brought their camera guys and their sound guys and light people because they're making a documentary of their their uh, round the world tour Wow. And if oh. you haven't heard these people, they are incredible. They they are really good. Uh, but so I gave them all Pituvas and 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 uh, they uh, went back. They finished their their uh, I think they were here for like 3 hours. Went back and they're staying at the Madonna Inn. And they went into the coffee shop and they were having dinner in the coffee shop and they decided to open their Pituvas in the coffee shop. And they were asked to leave. Oh. They got thrown out of the Madonna Inn coffee shop. <laughs> but it's a it's a serious instrument. It's a real instrument. It's simple. There's no moving parts, no choking hazards. You, you put it in your armpit, kind of toward the back, and a little a little moisture helps. And then Oh, let me get it right. That was happy birthday. <laughs> and it's simple to do. Anybody can do it. It's it's uh, uh, it's not a gender specific instrument um, or age specific. In fact, I think the older you are, the the better they sound. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, and it's uh, you know you can read the. Uh, uh, the little 
instruction sheet and flyer inside. Uh, but uh, it, it tells you how to play it. And uh, it's, a, it's got some warnings in there. Uh, it says the use of Pituba is not recommended in a church, school, or any other situation where its use would cause consternation. I mean, it spells out consternation. Uh, noun, sudden alarming amazement or dread that results in utter confusion and dismay. So we, we really covered everything on this. You it, really covered yourself on yeah, the, this Yeah, finally the explosion. force that has fascinated mankind since the dawn of time has been harnessed for your amusement. And I've sold a bunch of these. 7,000, I think. Seven. <laughs> You'll retire on your Petuba money. I just got an order from the Boy Scouts of America. They, for some kind of jamboree they're having. If you don't hear that all too familiar sound, you may be suffering from chronic dry armpit syndrome, CDAS. In which case, a little moisture in the area will have you playing in seconds. So it's, you know, it's, It's not an, we don't encourage it for people who are driving. Uh, it's, it can distract. Yes, so do not use while driving. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Ron. I really appreciate it. Sure. I just enjoy, uh, you have a weekly jam and. Yeah, you're, really, uh, uh, you're a cornerstone of the music scene here in San Luis Obispo. So it's just <laughs> nice to be with you. Well, thanks. Thanks much. We'll do it again. You've reached the end of another Cowboy Jeff and Andy podcast. My special thanks to Ron Saul. I am on Facebook at Andy Watson, and we are on Gmail at CowboyJeffAndAndy at gmail.com, all lowercase. We're going to be taking a week off for the holidays, and we'll return the following week. Bye-bye.